You are listening to the Purpose Church High School Ministry Podcast. Whether this is your first episode or you've heard them all, God has something to say to you. Our vision is to see every student everywhere following Jesus, and we hope this message helps you take your next step in your faith. To learn more about our high school ministry, visit our website, purposechurch.com HSM, and check us out on Instagram at purposehsm. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Heavenly Father, you are so good. You are so powerful. You are all loving. And I believe, God, that you have a message for every single one of us tonight. That whether we've been walking with you for years or we've been walking with you for months or we've been walking with you for weeks or maybe we're just here tonight and we're not even sure how we feel about you. God, I believe that you have something specific that you want to say to each one of us. God, I pray that you would have your way in this room, that you would move in our hearts, that our hearts would be open to you, God. Because I know and I believe that you want to use the high school students of Purpose Church to change the world. And that means that there's an enemy that Satan doesn't want any of our lives to be transformed because he knows that if all of us were sold out for you, if your kingdom was our number one focus, our schools and our cities and our families and our friendships would be radically changed. And so God, would you keep Satan away and Holy Spirit, would you move powerfully tonight? In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Jesus, Jesus the Nazarene was born in an insignificant city at an insignificant or a seemingly insignificant time in history. Jesus was born in Palestine, specifically in a little city called Bethlehem, and everybody in Jesus' day believed that nothing significant could ever come from Bethlehem. There wasn't a lot of money traveling through Bethlehem. There wasn't a lot of key significant leaders. There was no YouTube influencers coming out of Bethlehem. But around the year 4 BC, a baby is born, Jesus of Nazareth. And his birth changed everything. But here's what's interesting about Jesus. 500 years before he ever showed up on the scene, in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, let's throw up that passage real quick. In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, if we have that, Micah chapter 5, verse 2 says this. But you, Bethlehem, this is 500 years before Jesus shows up on the scene. But you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel. At this time, Israel was not significant. They were lacking a king. They were lacking direction. And soon they would become overpowered by the Romans. And they thought that God had forgotten them. But 500 years before Jesus shows up on the scene, God makes a promise to his people that he will come, that a ruler will come who will change absolutely everything. Well, Jesus is born and about 30 years into his life, he begins his public ministry. And he, he breaks out with one big announcement. It's, it's the big announcement that kind of guides everything that he does. It's the announcement that he keeps repeating over and over and over again. In Mark 1.15, he says, the time has come. This is 2,000 years ago in the first century. 
The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus says, I know that when you think of the word kingdom, you think of Rome. You think of military. You think of a superpower. When you students maybe think of someone who's over you, you think of school or you think of parents or you think of people who control your lives. And Jesus says, there is a new kingdom that is about to break through where I am the king and my priorities, the things I'm passionate about, begin to unfold in the world and you are invited to be a part of that. Immediately he becomes threatening to the religious leaders and to the government of his day. Because make no mistakes about it, Jesus was tried and murdered as a terrorist to the state. Because his announcement was, I am the king and I am starting a kingdom. In the gospels, there's four biographical accounts of the life of Jesus. And they're all from different perspectives. It's like watching a movie. Whatever your favorite movie is, it's always told from multiple different angles. And so the story of the life of this man, Jesus, is told from four different angles. There's over 34 miracles that Jesus performed recorded in in these stories. But at the end of the day, Jesus came with good news. He came with a gospel announcement. Whenever, whenever a new Roman leader or a new Caesar was crowned king of Rome, they would walk through the cities and everybody would line the cities. And before, the, before those kings and those emperors and those Roman officials would come, they would have announcers stand out and say, good news, good news, good news. They would say gospel, gospel, gospel. It meant that there was some proclamation. But it always meant that there was a new leader who was going to ultimately suppress the people, oppress the people, not care or love the people. That this new kingdom from Rome or whoever it was that was in charge was ultimately going to be a way of enslaving and hurting the people. But Jesus, Jesus comes with a good news, with a gospel, with a message. And it's all about freedom. You see what it means that when Jesus says that he's coming, bringing a kingdom, it means that his way of seeing the world will become the way that you and I see the world. That his priorities, his values, his desires would become our values and our desires when Jesus was proclaiming this good news it it was a way of saying everything I'm about to teach every miracle I'm about to perform everything I'm about to say everything you will see me do is building to this moment to this finale when this king instead of making everyone else sacrifice for his glory he will sacrifice himself for the rest of us. You see, I don't know when the last time you were at a fireworks show. Anybody like going and seeing fireworks? Fourth of July or whenever, right? Going and seeing fireworks? Does anybody go to a fireworks show and leave before the finale? But that wouldn't make any sense, right? 
You'd sit there and you'd kind of watch the little fireworks. If you're 10 minutes in and you know the finale's coming, it wouldn't make any sense for you to retreat. In fact, you show up to the fireworks show waiting for that finale. What we're going to talk about tonight is the finale of the gospel, the finale of the good news. You see, the gospel is not just Jesus' death and his resurrection. It's everything that Jesus did. That is the whole gospel. But his death and his resurrection is the finale. It's the final performance. It is what every single thing that he did is ultimately leading up to. And tonight, I don't know where you stand with Jesus, but I'm going to give every single one of you an opportunity to become a part of his kingdom. To, to become a part of the story that he is writing in the world. And he wants to use you to change the world. But we got to begin with, why in the world would you even believe this story of Jesus? It is a great question to ask. I mean, this guy lived 2,000 years ago. None of us have ever seen him, right? Like, we can't hang out with him. We can't log on to YouTube and watch videos of him. There's no pictures of him. Like, why in the world would we even believe what we're about to talk about? in terms of Jesus. And I want to draw you to Luke chapter 1. Find me in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. This guy, Luke, he says this. He says, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the very first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. So Luke, who actually is a doctor, we find out later in the New Testament that this guy was a doctor. He has been commissioned by somebody who's curious about this guy, Jesus. Theophilus is curious and says, I want to know more about this Jesus. And so he commissions Luke to do a full investigation of the life of Jesus. And here's what's interesting. When Luke, who's writing this, when he uses the phrase, I have carefully investigated, he's writing in, an, in a Greek language called Koine Greek. And that word carefully is akribos. Let's say akribos together. One, two, three. Akribos. And here's literally the original definition of the word akribos. It's this. To have strict conformity to a standard. To be accurate. To be focused. To be intentional. It's as if Luke is saying, this was not just some myth that I heard some rando talking about. No, no, this story of Jesus... I've talked with eyewitnesses. Jesus isn't looking into, and many of you have maybe written papers where your teachers were talking about the difference between primary sources and secondary sources. Luke here is saying, man, I didn't go after secondary sources. We're talking about primary sources who walked with this Jesus. In fact, that's your first fill in the blank tonight. Luke, the gospel writer, investigated Jesus by talking with eyewitnesses. You can write that in your notes. By talking with eyewitnesses. That means that as Luke was interacting with these people and interviewing them, getting information from them, they were telling him what they personally had seen. And so Luke writes the story of Jesus, and then he gets to the firework finale at the end. 
And for a few minutes, we're going to talk about that finale. And our big idea tonight is this. You are worth everything to Jesus. I know that may sound crazy to some of you who have not been around church before. This is kind of new to you. I get that. We're going to explain that. But just let this phrase sink. And in fact, everyone just close your eyes for a second. Just close your eyes. Not thinking about anyone around you. Just close your eyes for a second. Hear these words. You are everything to Jesus. You are worth everything to Jesus. Some of you right now with your eyes closed, you're going, how how can that be? How would I even know that? It, It doesn't matter what you did last night. You are worth everything to Jesus. It doesn't matter how crazy Halloween got and the things you did. Man, you're so glad nobody posted about the real stuff. You are worth everything to Jesus. But here's the question I want to ask you. What is he worth to you? You are worth everything to him. What is he worth to you? You can open your eyes and fill in your blank on that. What is he worth to you? I'm going to show how much you are worth to Jesus. Find me at the end of Luke, at Luke chapter 23. Jesus has been arrested We've talked about this before. He's been arrested. He's been put on a mock trial. He was stripped naked and he was tied to a pole, leaving his entire backside completely exposed. And some of you are going, why why would they arrest him? Why would they begin to do this? It's because he claimed to be God. He predicted over and over again. He said, the son of man. He called himself. He said, I'm the son of man. I will come into the world and I will be beaten I will be flogged, I will be crucified, and then ultimately I will rise from the dead. And that's how you know that you can trust me. But he said, before the resurrection comes, there will be pain and suffering. Why? Because Jesus claimed to be God. People weren't just offended by the miracles that he did or or the interesting teachings. No, no, no. They were offended because he claimed to be God. And the government and the religious system of his day had no room for that. And so what they do is they... They tie Jesus to a pole and his back is completely exposed. They have two Roman guards on either side of him. And they begin to whip Jesus 39 times. At the end of those whips were glass and rock and nail and they would dig into his skin. And as the Roman guard would pull back the whip, so would some of Jesus' skin 39 times. In fact, it took two Roman guards to do this because the task was so tiresome. It was so difficult. It was so laborsome for one person to do that they needed two. And so here's the God of the universe who created all people literally being torn to shreds by the people he has created. Well, after those After that flogging, he falls to the ground, he collapses. The Roman guards put a giant beam over his shoulder and make him walk to the top of this hill. He's so weak at one point that he can't even carry it anymore. He finally gets to the top of this hill and they lay his arm down on the beam and they feel for the depression in his wrist. It probably would have been right about here and they feel for the depression and they drive one nail through his wrist into the piece of wood. He cries out in excruciating pain and they reach out his other hand and drive another nail through the depression in his wrist and he cries out in excruciating pain and then they put one foot over the other and do one last nail through his feet and into the piece of wood 
and he cries out in excruciating pain. And they lift him up, and Jesus has begun what the Romans had perfected as a torture device. He begins crucifixion. The reason I use the word excruciating is because the Latin word for excruciating is excruciare, which literally means out of crucifixion. So whenever you hear that word excruciating, it has a picture behind it, and it's of somebody on a cross. Because you see, for six hours, as the Gospel of Mark tells us, Jesus is lifting himself up to breathe, causing excruciating pain in his feet, and then dropping down to exhale, causing excruciating pain in his wrists. And for six hours, Jesus is doing this. People are walking by him, and they're mocking him. They're making fun of him. But instead of retaliating with revenge and anger, this Jesus says, Father, forgive them. While Jesus is up on the cross, Luke describes some of what's going on in Luke chapter 23, verse 44. It says, it was about noon and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon for the sun stopped shining and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Remember, that temple was where Jewish people would go to connect with God. Remember, we talked about this early in our series that there was a sacrificial system that would deal with the sins of all people. They would go and they would offer sacrifices, but in order to get inside of the temple, to be closest to where God's presence resided, to offer sacrifices, you had to be a priest. And there was this thick, three-inch thick curtain that divided the rest of humanity from God because our sin divided us from God. And this curtain is torn, and I loved last week, a few weeks ago, um, Nicole was preaching, and she, she talked about when the heavens were, were torn open, and how once they're torn open, it's as if God is saying, we're not closing this baby back up. And in the same, there's the same metaphor here, where as the curtain is torn in two, there's no sewing this, there's no zipping this back up. It's God's way of saying, what I am doing on the cross for all of you will be effective for all time. The story continues. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. Then the centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, surely this was a righteous man. The centurion was a very specific position in Rome. He was an official representative of Pilate who was the governor of this day who ultimately gave approval for Jesus to be on the cross. So the centurion is not just a guard like any other guards. He's a high up official. It means he's done some pretty bad stuff to get there. And he stands there with a hard heart, looking at what's going on, making sure the crucifixion is successful, but something changes in his heart. Because when he sees Jesus die, all of a sudden it becomes real for him. Students, I wanna pause. I wonder if there's some friends in your life right now who it would be absolutely impossible for you to ever envision them believing in Jesus and having a relationship with him. Can I encourage you to continue praying for them? 
Because if God could change the heart of a centurion, God could change the heart of your friends. But there may be some of you here who you're kind of like the centurion. You're an atheist, you're agnostic, you want nothing to do with God, your life is all about you, people give you praise for that, and honestly, you, you've, you've told yourself, I will never be a God person, like I can never be a Jesus person, those people are weird, they got like Kanye West now, like what's going on? And, and they're like, I, I'm just, I, I will never be one of those people. But I look at the life of Kanye West and I go, man, if Jesus can save a centurion, if Jesus can save a Kanye, Jesus can save you. That Jesus could do something so powerful in your life if you saw him, if you saw him for who he really is. And students, don't miss this. Jesus was not up on a cross because he was bored or had nothing else to do or thought it would be fun. Jesus was up on the cross because you're worth everything to him. Because your sin and my sin gets in the way of us having any kind of relationship with God. And Jesus, God Almighty, the creator of the universe, said, I can't handle that. Think about this. Jesus left heaven with the Father to be on earth with you. Jesus left heaven with the Father to die for you. Because that's how much you mean to him. Students, another fill in the blank is this. When Jesus died for you, he displayed his love for you. See, this, love is not your boyfriend telling you, yeah, like, I'll, I'll put you on my bio if we do this. L love, love is not you getting into this program or that program or you getting this job or that job. Jesus did for you what no parent, what no boyfriend, no girlfriend, no grade, no career, no anything could do for you. He died in your place. But remember, friends, the finale doesn't end with a tragedy. The firework finale is not a letdown. It's incredible. It's beyond anything we could ever imagine. Later in the story, three days later, in chapter 24, Luke is continuing to write this historical account of Jesus. He says this, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and they went to the tomb. The reason these women went to the tomb with spices is because they were going to prepare Jesus' death body for permanent burial. You see, you would go to a tomb with spices for only that reason. And so Jesus dies. He's buried in a tomb. And three days later, some brave, courageous, amazing women show up because they want to honor this man. And they come with their spices expecting to see a dead body, and then the story gets good. Check out what happens next. They found the stone, the tomb, rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. So two angels show up in their fright. Yeah, duh, like two angels just show up and they're like, peace, right? Freaking them out. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is 
is not here. He has risen. To which, like, they were silently responding, we thought he was dead. Like, that's why we came here. We thought he was dead. And it's as if the angels here, like, they're, they're using humor. They're like, why'd you show up to the gravesite? He's not here. He is alive. To which this is the most unbelievable news that they never possibly fathomed. Do you remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again? You guys, this is the finale. This this is the most incredible moment. Because when Jesus resurrected for you, he displayed his power for you. The resurrection is evidence that there is nothing in your life that he cannot change. The resurrection is evidence that there is no sin that he cannot overcome. The resurrection is evidence that there is no past that you could come from that he would not forgive and transform and use for his glory. The resurrection is power and evidence that God, that God is truly the king of the universe And his kingdom wins every single time. See, the resurrection is evidence that that addiction that you're struggling with, that habit that you just can't get over, can be overcome by him. And so a little bit later in the story, in verse 35... They, all of a sudden, these people begin to see Jesus while they were still, while they were still talking about this Jesus. Because the women, they went back to these group of men, to these followers of Jesus. And they said, guys, he's back. Like, Jesus has risen. And they're like, girl, you crazy. Like, you are crazy right now. And they're like, you will see. And then all of a sudden, they went and saw. And what they saw was Jesus was not there. They begin talking about it. And then Jesus, he does this like a few times. All of a sudden, he shows up and he's like, Peace. Like he always says peace. He like, he poofs, like just shows up, right? Like, like all of a sudden comes into view. And the first thing he says is peace. Like he is messing with them right now. Like he is totally messing with his people. And then he says this. The story goes like this. They were startled and frightened thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled? And why do you, why do doubts rise in your mind? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? Isn't that weird? Like Jesus is like back. And he's like, feel the scars. I'm back. I've resurrected. You got any Chick-fil-A? Like, that's what Jesus is doing right now. Why did he do that all week? All week I've been analyzing. Why did Jesus do that? Why did, Jesus, why did he say that? You know why? Because I think Jesus wanted to make it crystal clear to us that as powerful and as incredible and as unbelievable and as miraculous as his resurrection is, it does not disable him from being relatable to us that God perfect holy God died on a cross rose from the dead things we could never do ourselves we could never imagine and yet he is still relatable to you and I yet he still wants a relationship with us yet he still feels what we feel and understands what it is that we go through 
And then Jesus, in his final speech recorded in Luke, he says this, verse 46. This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you with what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. And here's what Jesus is saying, third or last, final point. Jesus died and rose to make this point. Forgiveness changes everything. Jesus said, what I did on the cross, I did for you. My resurrection proves that I have power to bring forgiveness. Now go share that message with the whole world because Jesus believed in this ridiculous idea. Like it's absolutely ridiculous that forgiveness Beginning with forgiveness from God and extending to forgiveness with others would actually change the world. But friends, it's impossible for you to, at a Christ-like level, forgive those around you. And I mean literally forgiving them, letting them go, letting it go what they did to you and not holding it over their heads. It is impossible for you to do that apart from receiving his forgiveness. Students, I uh, had a conversation last week with Trinity. Where's Trinity? Can you come up here real quick, girl? You guys, can you welcome Trinity up here? A few weeks ago, um, during HSM, Trinity had a vision from the Lord. And students, I want you to hear this because I believe God wants to give some of you visions. And she's going to describe just kind of what God put on her heart and what she saw. And I thought it was perfect for tonight. So one more time, can you welcome Trinity? Um, Sorry if if I sound a little nervous because I am. Um, So Nicole was speaking uh, a couple weeks ago. And I just remember I just couldn't focus on what she was saying and I was, I'm so used to getting distracted, but I'm always able to, you know, get back into it. And just for some reason, I wasn't able to. Um, and I, in my head, I just kept on seeing me and Jesus on this dirt road. And there's just, on both sides of me, there's just grass and flowers. Um, and me and Jesus are walking down this road. And in the far of my vision, I see there's this little patch of tar. And Jesus tells me, hey, there's this puddle of tar, be careful. And I say, okay, sure. And we're walking down and we come up close to it and I see, oh, well, puddle's not that big. It's just, you know, around my size. And I've, I mean, I've never seen tar in real life before. I've never been to the Bay tar pits or anything. And like, this is kind of cool. I kind of want to see how sticky it is. Because people say, like, you know, the dinosaurs died in those things. So I, I want to see what it's like, you know? I want to dip my toe in. And I put my toe into this puddle and it gets stuck. And I'm like, okay. And I'm trying to pull my, my toe out and I can't. And I start to sink. And I'm sinking, I'm sinking, and the only thing that's left is my four fingers reaching out, and I'm freaking out, I'm surrounded by this tar, and Jesus comes and he lifts me by my four fingers and pulls me out of the tar. 
Wow. Thanks, Trinity. I, uh, the tar, I believe the tar that she was seeing is sin. It's any kind of rebellion from God. It's any thought or action that is about you and your desires and not what God desires. And like all of us, we come up to that tar, and even when Jesus says, don't go there, don't go there, not because I want to ruin something for you, but because I want to save you from something. Every single one of us have put our feet in that tar, and at the end of the day, we sink down. And I love that image of four fingers in the air, because, you know, I was thinking, like, if you're going to grab onto something, like, you really need your thumb, right, to, like, really be able to grab onto that. But you see, our sin condition is so deep that we've got four fingers in the air. Like, we can't do nothing with that. The finale of the gospel is that Jesus, by his death and his resurrection, saw every single one of you with four fingers in the air, got into the tar with you, and wants to pull you out. The question is, are you okay hanging out in that tar, or do you want to be free? Do you want to be forgiven? Do you want to be saved? I want to invite everyone to close their eyes right now. I know we did this last week, but I was just feeling like God was leading us to do it again as we're talking about the finale of the gospel. As we talked about tonight, that you are worth everything to Jesus, and so the only question is, what is he worth to you? And I want to talk to two groups tonight. Tonight, if you're in this room and you've never begun a relationship with Jesus before, you didn't know about his death and resurrection, you, you felt the tar around you, you felt your sin messing up your life, you felt what it's like to sin, to do bad things, to think bad thoughts, and yet you've never had anywhere to take that, and it's just kind of stuck with you because you're stuck in tar. Well, tonight, friends, what Jesus did 2,000 years ago has the power to free you. Forgiveness is yours because you mean everything to Jesus. And so tonight, if you're in this room and you've never begun a relationship with Jesus, maybe you were invited here by a friend but all of a sudden this message is starting to change your heart and you want to be in a relationship with this God who died and rose for you, if tonight you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, you can begin following him today. And it's a lifelong journey. It's not just something you do now and nothing changes tomorrow. No, it is a lifelong journey of following Jesus. And your life becomes about him and everything he desires, but you're not in the tar anymore. You're not in that pit. So if tonight you want to receive his forgiveness and begin living for him and following him, I want to invite you right now to boldly raise your hand in the air if you want to begin a relationship with Jesus so that I can pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for these hands that are raised. I thank you for their decision tonight to respond to the finale of your gospel. God, thank you that your Holy Spirit is now entering into the lives of these students and you are gonna use them to change your world.
may this day shape every day. With every eye closed, I think there's some students tonight who you've forgotten the finale of the gospel. You've forgotten about that power. Jesus has pulled you out of that tar, but you've gotten back into it. And if you're honest with your life, if you're honest with yourself, you're sitting in a bunch of tar right now. You're not living free. You're not living for him. And tonight you're recognizing he's worth everything because he says, I'm worth everything. And if tonight you're saying, Jesus, I want to repent. I want to come back. I'm ready to live my life for you again. Things have not been about you and they are going to start being about you. And then I want you to raise your hand right now as a declaration that Jesus is going to be the Lord of your life. God, I thank you for my brothers and sisters with their hands raised. I thank you for their commitment to make the finale of your gospel the central defining aspect of their lives. God, I pray that they would know that you don't hold any grudges, that you love them, that you are passionate about them. And that, God, you have greatness in store for them. Not greatness because it's about their kingdom, but greatness because they're a part of your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, hold on, students. Hold on. Before we go anywhere, there were a number of you that for the first time surrendered to Jesus or made a decision that you're coming back. And friends, you are not intended to follow Jesus alone. This is your community. This is your tribe. These are your people. We're not going to hold any grudges. We're not going to remember your past reputation. We are going to come alongside you and love you and help you. And so here's what I want you to do. On the count of three, if you raised your hand, here's the thing. You've got to be bold in following Jesus. Jesus just saved and changed your life. The least you could do is stand for him and say, yeah, I'm all about him. He told you that you are worth everything to him. Make a choice here that he's worth everything to you. And so on the count of three, if you were in either of those groups that raised your hand, I want you to stand up on the count of three so that we can celebrate with you, but so that we can hold you accountable and encourage you. So on the count of three, boldly stand for Jesus. One, two, three. Guys, that's awesome. That is awesome. Now, hold on, students. Students, while you're standing, while you're standing, I just have two questions for you. Stay standing. I have two questions for you. Stay standing. Stay standing. Two questions are this. Dude, what's up? You guys are new, too. That's dope. All right. Juan, right? Juan? Yeah. Good to see you. All right. Yeah, give it up for Juan. All right. Here's my question for those of you that are standing. I have two questions. The first one is this. Is Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior? And are you committed to following him for the rest of your life? Welcome to the family. Awesome. So awesome. All right, so guys, we're gonna head into, we're gonna head into life groups. Here's what I want you to do. If you stood up tonight... You need to tell your leaders, leaders, make sure you see who stood up. Make sure you get new believers, believer packs, talk through all.